Okay, welcome to First Impressions Podcast, the podcast where we talk about our love for Jane Austen and give a big middle finger to all those haters. I am Kristen, and I am not joined by Maggie today because she is too pregnant. I instead am thrilled to welcome to the podcast two guests, Lauren Weathers and Emily Davis-Hale, who do the new and exciting Reclaiming Jane podcast that I was so excited for. So Lauren and Emily, introduce yourselves. I can go first. Um, My name is Lauren Weathers. I'm one half of Reclaiming Jane. Um, I I don't know if there's anything specifically about myself that I should share, I suppose. I, I think maybe the most important thing is that I am a huge reader to the point where I decided I was going to study English in college. Um, So I've carried that on into my, I suppose, academic choices and (laughs) career, so to speak, and um, have been a fan of Jane Austen for quite some time, which is why I was super excited when Emily said yes to the crazy idea of let's start a podcast. (laughs) And you just texted Emily and you're like, you said something like, wait, I have this idea. Literally. (laughs) Yeah, I think verbatim it was... (laughs) Okay, wait. Hear me out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hear me out. What if we made a podcast? Which was like in the middle of last summer, Lauren was out of town. Like I was trying to prep for a semester that I didn't know what was going to happen. But you know, when when your best friend of almost 10 years texts you and says, hey, I have this cool idea. Like you say yes. <laughs> You got to say yes to that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind the podcast is, is I feel like is pretty different. Like it's not already on the scene. Yeah. Um, so I had the idea for this. I'm a really big fan of the Harry Potter and the Sacred Text podcast. And they had, they were meant to go on tour last summer, but of course I couldn't because of COVID. And so they instead had this really big kind of like virtual um, camp, quote unquote, last summer. And they approach reading Harry Potter through um, different religious lenses and treating it as a sacred text and not sacred as in we believe that Harry Potter has like the answer to how the world was formed. But like if you treat something as sacred and you treat it seriously with that amount of respect, then what types of meanings can you then glean and incorporate into your own life? And I was like, oh, that's a really good idea. What if we did that with Jane Austen instead? And rather than using like religious theory or religious interpretations, we could just look at it through, you know, different themes that we see in everyday life. So looking at what does it look like if you read Jane Austen through lens of like sexuality and like just decide like, yeah, I think I can read this character as queer. What happens when you look to read and like find how you can interpret race in Jane Austen or something like that and so then I was like well I'm sure that already is a thing I'm gonna try and find that podcast and then I couldn't find it and I was like wait it's not a thing (laughs) (laughs) and I should say too I shouldn't say the idea in Austen is new because so many people are doing really good work in this space already but there isn't a Jane Austen podcast as you say for fans on the margins and Bianca Hernandez, for example, is a person I have a shout out who is a huge, uh, a really important voice for diversity in, in Austin. And so when I saw you guys were coming out with this, it was so incredibly timely. And so for fans on the margins, like, um, would you elaborate a little bit about what your what that means? Um, so this is something that we were really clear on from the very beginning, um, was trying to reach parts of the Jane Austen fandom or even people who are not Austen fans but have a curiosity about it who don't feel like they're currently represented by the visible 
fandom, basically, which typically consists of white, straight, cisgender women. Neither of us check all of those boxes. <laughs> uh, we've talked on the podcast before about how we're both queer, I'm non-binary, Lauren is Black. Um, and so we wanted to dive into our own experiences there and use that to say, okay, even though we are existing Jane Austen fans, we don't want this to be a gate-kept community because it's literature and literature is out there in the world for its audience, whoever they may be. And I don't think, we don't think that that audience needs to be restricted to anyone. I love the fact that you chose Reclaiming Jane as the title because it's it's something that already belonged to all of us and has sort of, because of the way academia is, because it tends to be white, because it tends to be uh, straight and historically has been very male dominated, we do have to, in a way, reclaim it, right? Like come in, say my voice matters on this, the way I'm reading this matters on this, the things that matter to me. Like for example, Lauren, so you guys are reading Sense and Sensibility right now. And I remember listening to this one. I did listen to um, one of your podcasts and you were saying it was an interaction between two people where one person was sort of negated or their, their perspective was not taken into account. And you were saying, I'm not saying that Jane Austen was writing about race right here, but there's a direct parallel to what can happen in those situations as well. So you're seeing your things that are very common in your life, you're seeing them in there in Austin. Yeah, and I think that's one of the really great things about having different perspectives in the room, in the space when you're reading something because you learn so many different ways to read it. So like I will read the exact same five chapters before we record, but Emily will notice something that I didn't or I'll notice something that Emily didn't because we both bring different perspectives and different ways of reading the book to the podcast. And that's one of the things that I miss about like being able to have those conversations all the time in a classroom setting was hearing all the different ways that my classmates would interpret something. Don't necessarily miss school, but I do miss that because that was, <laughs> such some, that was something that was really rewarding. So I think that podcasts like these can also enhance other people's readings, I hope, of, um, of books that they've read multiple times before just by seeing a different way that they can read a favorite book or interpret something or read something that they haven't even encountered before if they're brand new to reading and loving Jane Austen. Yeah, and for me, part of that also was just showing people that you don't have to have been an English major. You don't have to have this deep literary knowledge. I was also am also a lifelong voracious reader, but I went the linguistics route in college. And so I haven't done any kind of literary analysis since high school. So there are a lot of concepts that I genuinely have to ask Lauren, what do these words mean in this order? But then we still manage to come into the room when we're recording and every single time one or both of us says at least once, oh, I didn't even think of that about something that we've drawn out of the text that relates to real world experiences, either our own or others that occur. With Jane Austen, I just feel like th there's so much of real life in there that everybody has these universal experiences, but then it's taking it out and is relating it to my experience as a queer person or my experience as a black person. 
that um, really enriches the conversation. And I appreciate what you were saying, Emily, about not having that literary criticism background, because talking about Austin a lot, and me personally, I, I was telling Lauren earlier, like, I do not have a literary criticism background at all, even though I went to a small liberal arts college. I majored in chemistry and I minored in Chinese. And so every semester was math, physics, chemistry, Chinese. And I came out of that school not even knowing what things like postmodern meant. In fact, I remember what, overhearing a conversation. I was in the English building for some reason. And um, one of my friends was like an English major. She was talking to one of her professors in the hall. And I sort of, you know, horned in on it because I wanted to feel like I knew about literature because I, you know, loved Austin, even though I didn't know anything about it. Anyway, this professor said, well, authorial intent means nothing. And I was like, what a wackadoodle thing to say. Like, what an absolute, she must be so far out there on the academic spectrum. And I did had no idea, like, for example, what it means to re read something through a lens as you guys often do. So every episode has a lens, right? So like, what, what does that mean for people who don't come from that background? It really just means like the, I think the easiest way to say is that's the focus that you're using when you put it on, um, or like the set of glasses that you wear. So like for this section, like I'll put on like my queer glasses. And then for this section, you know, I'll put on like my morality glasses. It's really just what are you going to focus on when you're reading this book or this chapter and then seeing what type of meaning you can create when you use that focus. Um, it's funny that you mentioned authorial intent because I think that's one of the things when you remove that then you have so much more freedom when you're interpreting stuff and I think in high school especially English is kind of taught where you're supposed to go on like a scavenger hunt to uncover what the author really meant and that it can get really frustrating if you can't uncover what you think the author means or if you uncover a meaning and then your teacher says, no, that's wrong. If you find meaning, then that's what it means to you. Like, I think you get to create meaning based on the way that you read things. So when we use a lens, that's our way of creating meaning, our meaning of the text and being able to find a new way to read it. So we could go back and read, like chat, we read chapters 11 through 15 through the lens of race, then we can go back and read it with a completely different focus and learn completely new things. So really lens is just, what are you focusing on when you read it to try and create new meanings? And I think you said recently with the episode on class, um, that the lens really suggested itself to you because there was so much already in there, or did you sort of pick it and then it turns out it was just the perfect choice? We actually sat down and we chose how many chapters were going to be in each section to talk about, and then just slapped labels on them and went down the list. So it really was, it was complete coincidence that the section we had assigned to think about class for was just perfect. It was just stacked with references. Um, but then, of course, with things like the episode on race, we had to kind of make that meaning for ourselves. But I, that's something that I keep in the back of my head when reading this text, because I'm, I'm not used to that idea of using a lens or framework or something like that when it comes to literature. So the way I approach it is, okay, keep this concept in mind and as you read what pops out that reminds me of things that happen today what makes me think of 
that particular experience. I really thought it was powerful when you used a lens of class on those chapters. And like, like you were saying, it was perfect. Um, because for example, let me tell you why this is so useful to me. And it, it would never have occurred to me to do anything with the concept of reading something through a lens. Because as you, as you may have know, heard, if you um, listen to that among the Janites episode, but this podcast is just about me being self-centered and self-absorbed and talking about myself and my mental illness and then what, you know, what awesome means to me. And it, it, frankly, this podcast does not include diverse voices or diverse viewpoints. And I think the more we make it, the more real I realize that and the more I sort of evolve. Like in earlier episodes, uh, in fact, one ep early episode, I said something really bitchy, like, oh, that's the worst kind of persuasion fan. Like the, the person who like, re you know, like, in, in fact, it was, it was like a rock concert. I was like making fun of like people who are like, whoa, persuasion, like when somebody brought it up and the worst kind of fan. And like, I'm super embarrassed about that now. But to get back to what I was saying, um, when you applied the lens of class to when Eleanor was talking to Lucy Steele. And I think it was you, Emily, who's saying like, this is actually kind of mean, like the way she's viewing Lucy, like the things that she's noticing that are low class about Lucy. Am I remembering that right? I think, was that the class episode or? It was the morality episode oh, that the we talked about episode. class, yeah. Okay, it, yeah. It all runs together. It does for me too, because as I said, I like read transcripts and then I usually read more than one at a time. So I'm sorry, I sit down and I'm like, I'm going to do my reading. But that morality has always been something that's really, really important to keep in mind to me when I read Austin. But I had never disliked Eleanor or thought that Eleanor was being small-minded before because you put implicit trust in Austin, the writer, to tell you who's good and who's bad, who we admire and who we don't want to be like. And it's certainly true that Lucy Steele is um, grasping, you know, she's, she's grasping for a higher social status that she has, which isn't a lot of, you can't really laud that. But at the same time, Austin's also saying we're, we as women are in this shitty situation. So you kind of understand that motivation. You really understand that motivation. A lot of people in Austin's time would have done the same thing or would have applauded kind of like, like we see in Pride and Prejudice, like, well, don't marry a rich guy because you want money, but marry a rich guy. So you know what I mean? And it's like, does Eleanor ever try to become uh, broader minded? Does she ever think about people of, outside of her family? And really, 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 she doesn't. And it had never occurred to me that, I guess it had occurred to me that Austin's heroines wear blinders towards people who are less fortunate than them, right? But it really brought it home that I wouldn't have thought of that otherwise. Yeah, I think it shows how Austin was really good at writing flawed characters. So yeah. even though I think a lot of people who are fans of Austin can really heavily relate to Eleanor, I definitely can. And even as I was um, in the morality episode, when I was writing some of the kind of critiques of Eleanor I felt like I was critiquing myself and I was like ouch okay this hurts but maybe this is the advice I need to give to myself <laughs> that, that, was, that was just a call out all of her interactions with Lucy <laughs> yeah, yeah um, <laughs> but it, it was um neat to be able to kind of uncover that and see how even the people who we root for or relate to are still flawed like no one is written to be a perfect character in Austin they're human and I think that 
it helps us relate to them even 200 odd years later. I know you're not talking about Mansfield Park yet, but it's my favorite book. And um, I will just say that I keep going back to it for the morality aspect and keep it keeps sitting uncomfortably with me that at the end of the day, the heroes, the heroine who I think of as this moral rock is just winds up benefiting from these rich people who get all their money from their plantation in Antigua where they have enslaved people. You know, that's the happy ending. You continue living off the slave laborers. You're still complicit. And in all the the important things I think that book communicates, then you're left with this. And it's it's this whole conversation about, is Austin conservative or is she liberal? Was she trying to prop up the order or was she trying to criticize it? Should she have criticized it more? Could she have criticized it more? Probably not. How do we feel about that? You know? So Emily, I don't know. Have you read uh, Sense and Sensibility all the way through yet? Or are you just going, are you reading ahead or? Uh, no, I'm reading it like the day before we record. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, I'm also just generally busy, um, but I really like to have it fresh in my mind. Yeah. And especially because I usually go right from that to researching the historical context, which we agreed is important to include precisely because of those things like the heroin benefiting from slavery in Mansfield Park, which I also have not read yet, (laughs) (laughs) but we'll get there because... I, and I think I also speak for Lauren on this, think that it's really crucial to recognize the reality that Jane Austen was writing from, but also be able to critique it from the place that we now occupy. So we can look at that and say that, you know, Jane Austen obviously did not have the historical perspective that we do but she was writing from her contemporary beliefs and we can recognize that while still saying that we feel differently. And both of those things are are valid within their historical context. Does that help you reclaim Jane too in a way where if you weren't having these conversations, you weren't just reading this book, it would always be hanging over you that your identities were not being included. Whereas when you can take it out and take it out of that context and say, here's what this means to me, does it really help the idea of reclaiming it so that you enjoy it more or you're more comfortable with it or you're, you're closer to it in a way? I definitely feel closer to it. I mean, Pride and Prejudice is the only one of her works that I had read previously. But in just trying to imagine if I were reading Sense and Sensibility now without the context of the podcast and all these things that we're explicitly looking for and trying to relate to in the text, it would be a very different experience. And I don't think that I would be enjoying it nearly as much because part of it is being very focused and looking for things that relate to our current life experiences. So otherwise we'd be reading it and we'd be like, Eleanor, this bitch, this privileged bitch. <laughs> yeah, I think um I I also really think that being able to do the podcast has helped me enjoy it more. Um I read the books before this and enjoyed them, but I think there was always this undercurrent of it didn't feel like they were 
I mean, they weren't written for me to enjoy, right? You know, they were written by a white British woman in 1813. So they, they weren't written with me in mind. And all of period fiction kind of feels like that. And it, it's difficult reading classics that people tell you that you're supposed to love and then turn the page like, oh, there's some nice racism. Oh, cool. There's some misogyny. Like it takes you out of the text because mm-hmm. how are you supposed to enjoy it when it's putting down your identities or leaving them out completely as though you don't exist. And I think being able to engage with the books this way helps them feel more like they're mine and more like they're something that I've now given meaning to so that they are special to me and can still be something that I enjoy and like hold in a place in my heart. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and I also think if this was in a curriculum that, you know, we're doing better now at like disrupting like all white, uh, you know, his uh, English curricula, but say that it was just white author, author after white author, and you were trying to make connections with all of this material. And then, as you said, you turn the page and it was something that immediately was like, okay, I'm out of it now. I'm other. It's not for me. I was talking with a friend of mine who is a religious minority here in Boise, how you can be going along and you can be thinking that everything's great. You're relating to people and you're, you're on the same page, uh, page with this person and you're enjoying your conversation. And then they say something, whether knowingly or not, I mean, usually not, that totally twists on a dime and you're, uh, you're, it's not for you anymore. And they don't necessarily even know that you did it. And you have to keep pretending like, aha, I'm still engaged. Everything's still fine, but it's, but it's not. And that can happen with the text just as much as it can happen with a conversation, right? Yeah, doing this has actually made me more conscious of the ways that I perpetrate that, especially as a white person in the world. Of course, I haven't been interacting with many people, <laughs> but just doing the deep consideration of the interactions that these characters have and realizing the impact that they don't realize they're having in the text uh, sort of allows me to think better about the impacts that I don't realize I'm having just by a one-off comment that wouldn't mean anything in the context I grew up in with white people, basically, um, because of the demographics of my, my hometown. But yeah, it's definitely, I feel like it's bringing out a deeper awareness of my own actions in the present day outside the podcast. There are some conversations in the fandom, because I know one of your things that you like to talk about is fandoms. And there are some conversations in the fandom now where people are, for example, Bridgerton, people are not wanting to engage with these concepts and these ideas of, of race. And I feel like, and so Bianca Hernandez, who I mentioned earlier, um, who was part of Drunk Austin and now is at Book Hoarding, made a video about that because she's a costumer. I don't know if you saw this, but she was calling out gatekeeping. And she was saying, when you say that you just care about the historical accuracy of the costumes and it's not about race, when you are saying that it has to be historically accurate and things that don't meet that standard, you're not part of the community that gatekeeping, even if it's so important to you that the historical costumes are right, you're not thinking about the impact and what other people are hearing. And the thing is, is when you do and say these things, you have to think about what other people are hearing. 
and what they might be hearing that you don't understand that you're saying. And so you need to reflect on that. I feel like I've said this in a really poor way, but you're nodding. So I'm hoping that you're understanding what I'm saying, right? And I related really hard to that because a lot of things on this, my podcast, this podcast, First Impressions, I come out and I make a lot of judgments and sometimes I get kind of salty. And part of that is this this is my podcast and that's why I started it because I want to get salty. But now that I'm part of a larger community that I'm reading tweet the tweets, I'm I'm hearing these other conversations, I've realized that a lot of stuff that I said has messages in it that I need to take a step back and think about what other people heard and what I was really saying and whether I need to re-examine my beliefs because they were tint. You know what I'm saying? For example, I've been really hard. Have you guys seen the Mansfield Park, the 1999 Mansfield Park with Francis O'Connor? I don't think so. If I did, I watched it maybe like eight years ago and it has since vanished completely <laughs> from, from your my mind. mind. Yeah. So Lord, I'm really excited now for you to watch it because I assume after you get through the books, which will take a while because you're doing five chapters a time, you're going to talk about the adaptations, right? Um, and uh, so, and Lauren was saying earlier, I don't know if you mentioned it, but she was a film, you were a film minor, right? So you have this film critics, critical background. But anyway, I, ha- I have said on this podcast before, I hate it with a lot of vitriol. And that's because to me, what I'm coming to Mansfield Park for which is the, the slippery slope morality, the tiny transactions, the lover's vows, set piece. It's all missing in that movie. But what the movie does include is a subplot about slavery. It's right in your face. It's there. It also contains a character who could be interpreted as queer. And those things are incredibly groundbreaking for a movie made in the 90s by a woman, you know? And I was taking that and throwing that all away because what I wanted to see was not in there. And what could have been heard and what might've been heard and what I should really think about is, um, for example, I listened to this podcast by Bonnets at Dawn and Nikki Payne, the Jaff writer, she's a black woman who writes Jane Austen fan fiction. She was saying, you know, she talks to people who don't like that movie and saying, oh really, why don't you like that movie? Oh, it changes, it changes the story. Oh, well, you liked this other adaptation and that changed the story. Is it really because your white world was being disrupted? And I'd like to think no, but if that's what people are hearing, then that's what I really need to think about before I speak. And now I've had you on my podcast to ask you questions and I have gone on a really long digression. So I apologize. I wanted to ask what the appeal, what the special appeal to Austin, you know, that Austin has for you that you decided to focus your podcast on her. I I don't know. It's hard to point to one thing specifically. I know um, for both, this might sound silly, for both me and Emily, Pride and Prejudice is like one of our comfort movies or comfort books. Like it's something that we come back to time and time again. And I think for me, one of the things that I love about Jane Austen is just how universal her stories can be. Like even though in the nitty-gritty details or the characters or the historical settings it might not seem as though it's meant for everyone but the themes that are in these books really can translate like across experiences and that's one of the things that I really love and why I wanted to focus on this specifically because I feel like no matter who you are you can get something out of Jane Austen because so many of the things are so widely applicable. And Emily was it just you're along for the ride? Sort of. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, I, as Lauren said, Pride and Prejudice is comfort media, especially the 2005. That is my favorite version. Don't come for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the book I read as a teenager, and of course, I identified very heavily with Lizzie Bennett, but also Jane, because I'm an eldest daughter, uh, not of five, but <laughs> still an eldest daughter. Uh, and when Lauren proposed looking at the Austin canon, it just seemed like a perfect opportunity to actually engage with all of her material and to do it with someone I like hanging out and talking with about things like this. I mean, our, our friendship essentially began, began over random media. So Yeah, <laughs> we became... Natural. Was it Doctor Who, a Doctor Who watch party where we met? Yeah, so that's what this friendship has been based on. <laughs> Are there more fandoms that you share, Doctor Who and Harry Potter, it seems like? Yes, uh, Downton Abbey. Ah, yes. I haven't uh, watched Downton Abbey since like 2012. <laughs> okay, but we're in like the seasons one through three fandom because we yes. also dropped off after a specific character death. Mm-hmm. Um, um, everything that we watch and immediately text each other about, Shit's Creek. Mm. <laughs> Parks and Recreation. How do we not say yes. that first? Oh my God! Yes. Oh, also Happy Valentine's Day. Oh yeah, Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> That's right. at, at least like a third to a half of our like direct statements to each other are just quoting Parks and Rec. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? What am I missing? There's there's other stuff, isn't there? Yeah, because there's always things that we're texting each other about. How about Marvel? Because I, I feel like, I, so Lauren, I read some of your stuff on Screen Rant. Screen oh, Rant. no. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed what I read, too. It was great. I read this one Harry Potter one where it's like, things that do not make sense in the Harry Potter universe. And it was like, yes, thank you. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you got something out of them. I, I sometimes try and pretend like my time at Screen Rant didn't exist. So I'm glad. <laughs> it was good. I love it. Is it okay that I mentioned it? I oh, love it. I love yeah. that I read. But I feel yeah. like there was some Marvel stuff in there. Yeah. Um, I I got into Marvel, I think, mostly because I was writing at Screen Rant. I had mm. been watching the movies before more as a casual fan. And then because I was writing for like a movie and TV news website, then I got really into it. And so now I've like seen all the MCU movies. I've been watching WandaVision religiously and like going into the forums and reading everybody's theories. Um and I didn't know you because... were that into it. Oh my god, I didn't know you were watching WandaVision. I'm oh, yeah. clearly not a Marvel fan. Mm. Like I have seen and enjoyed cherry-picked movies, mostly the ones that Lauren has said I have to watch. Um, so obviously I've seen Black Panther, I've seen Thor Ragnarok because that's the queerest MCU movie. Really um, and then like the early ones <laughs> when I thought that was like that was a super cool thing to do was to go see all of the Marvel movies. Uh, and then I realized I just wasn't invested in it because they didn't follow through on any of their character arcs, but that's a topic for another time. Yeah, I think I knew, um, I saved most of my texting about WandaVision for um, our mutual friend who did the music for Reclaiming Jane. Oh, cool. Um, because she's also a um, huge Marvel fan and also is just a music whiz. And when when we decided this was something that we wanted to do, I texted her and said, um, we are starting this podcast and she's also a Jane Austen fan. And I was like, would you mind doing the music for us? Like I, I can pay you like this does this podcast doesn't even exist. We don't have any money, but like, I'll pay you just please, <laughs> please make us music. And then she came music, through like, with this a month before anything else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's nice. Well, at least we have the music. That's good. 
Is she going to be a guest, do you think, on your podcast? I would love for her to be, but I don't know if she will. I'm not sure. I feel like that she's definitely more like a behind the scenes person because I've asked <laughs> her before and she's like, no, but I might make you a new theme song for season two because I've learned new stuff. So oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Shout out to her. What is her name? Uh, Latasha Bundy. Nice job, Latasha. I love the theme song for you guys' uh, podcast. Um, the favorite part of editing is just getting to jam out to that. Yeah, jam out to the theme song. <laughs> Do you guys, as far as podcasting, like, do you guys have like, a, are you falling into roles? Like, are you like the silly one versus like the serious one? Or has that not happened yet? So I feel like Maggie and I have very much fallen into roles. We kind of partly assigned those things as we were conceptualizing it all, just because of the things that we both get really nerdy about. So Lauren, of course, is our pop culture expert because I have lived under a rock my entire life and know nothing about pop culture except what she tells me. <laughs> Whereas I absolutely love just diving into all kinds of history. Um, so that was kind of the natural role for me to take was the one bringing all that context to the table while Lauren can, you know, bring us into the present day because she knows what's happening. Emily says, I love diving into historical things. What she means is if you ask her very specific questions about a specific item of clothing from a specific decade, she will know the answer off the top of her head without hesitation. Not necessarily. <laughs> yes, she will. She's playing it down. <laughs> I definitely did not spend today hand sewing an Elizabethan partlet. That is not related at all. <laughs> Own it, I rest Emily. my case. Own it. That's awesome. And um, one of the reasons why, I mean, Emily was the first and only person who I texted when I had the idea because I knew that she would have so much to bring to this because she has so much knowledge. And also because since we've been friends for so long, we can just bounce. I, we've said this, I think, before in casual conversation. I feel like we've said it maybe on the podcast before, but really most of this podcast just has us having a normal conversation except focused on the task at hand. At least what gets beforehand. Yeah. And I mean, what makes it into the final episode is focusing on the task at hand, because if you listen to the unedited episodes, it's a lot of us going off topic. But yes, same here. That's the other surprise about podcasting, right? Is like editing takes a long time and it is not easy. (laughs) The last last episode that I edited uh, for morality, like the first 39 minutes of our recording were just us talking about stuff that had nothing to do. Everything. I think we maybe started on one line of conversation. Related, and we we're like, no, no, no. We should, we should wait till we can segue that in. The <laughs> only good thing about the that. podcast is that you have to return to it. So if you say you're going to talk about it, you have to go back to it. Which I feel like I've had a lot of conversations, like at book clubs, where we say we're going to talk about the book, and then we just drink wine and bitch about whoever. But yeah, podcasting can really bring you closer too because there's this intensity of the conversation because you're trying to be entertaining for other people. So you're really on, right, for that time. I have to decompress. I don't know about you guys, but I'm like exhausted afterwards. Oh yeah, we usually lounge around and and depending on what time of day, we're either drinking coffee or wine afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we only made the mistake of trying to record two episodes back to back once. Mm -hmm. It was when we did our first two episodes and we quickly realized that was not a thing. We did not realize 
how tired we were going to be afterward. I think we, we hit end recording on the very first episode and both just let out this huge sigh of relief. Like, oh my God, that was so hard. Why was that so hard? Yeah. Did you say everything you were going to say? Um, some of some of our podcasts with me and Maggie, I get so excited about the things that I want to say that you can tell that I'm monologuing because I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to get it all out. And then I'll forget. Oh, is this Lauren? <laughs> this is the thing. <laughs> this is a thing. This is a real thing. It's really bad. And I, that's one of the things I realized when I go back and I do the transcriptions too, is I, I have to catch myself one from not just rambling for forever because I will. And then two, making sure that I stay on topic um, because I'll think of things while I'm in the middle of a sentence and then we'll change directions in the middle of a sentence and go follow that other idea and completely lose my train of thought. And then I'll read a paragraph that has one completed thought and I'm just <laughs> so embarrassed. I try to redeem you through the power of editing, but sometimes like in the, in one of our very first episodes, I texted Lauren as I was editing. It's like, so I was trying to cut this whole like three minute conversation about the movie Holes but I couldn't because somehow we led directly from that into the next podcast related thing. And I can't cut this context now. Yes. I, I've been there very well. Maggie is, is like, Oh, I knew this person because they were in this other show. And then it was just a long thing. And it's like, there's no transition at all. It's going to be so <laughs> awkward if I chop it. Um, so I feel bad. Maybe I should cut that out. I'm sure she's going to listen to this. I do it plenty too. And in fact, I, I went on a long, I'm a medical librarian, so I went on a long rant about pharmaceutical research that I actually had to go back and cut out of one of our Sanditon episodes. But um, shoot, I was going to say, no, back to Emily, your background, uh, you were telling me earlier that it's lingu um, you're a linguist, but you also have an anthropology background. Yeah, so it's it gets a little weird and bureaucratic. So I'm, I'm a linguist. I have a bachelor's degree in linguistics. But for my graduate degree, I'm in the anthropology department. So my master's says anthropology on it. My PhD will say anthropology on it. But I work with languages and writing systems. I think those are two so such powerful things to bring to Austin because I feel now you're becoming an anthropologist, but of uh, early 19th century Britain. Oh, absolutely. Which is 100%, a thousand percent unrelated to my actual field of study, which is... <laughs> the ancient Maya. So, you know, I'm studying like Mexico, Guatemala, Belize from like uh, 150 to 900. <laughs> and then every week I'm jumping on this podcast to chat with my best friend about Jane Austen and learning things about England. But honestly, given the general trajectory of my interests just as a person throughout life, it completely makes sense. <laughs> yeah, sure. You gotta take where life goes. You gotta say yes to the universe. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, anything else that comes to mind that you absolutely want to tell people about your podcast and why they should be listening or not why they should be listening, but you know, like to sell it. <laughs> I think the only thing that I would say is that we really want this to be a podcast for everyone, like new Jane Austen fans, returning Jane Austen fans, and we hope that this is a space where all of these groups of people can come together and feel as though they can really enjoy the books and enjoy the community and enjoy the discussions, and that we want this to be a digital space that's just really 
open and welcoming and inclusive. And that's one of our goals to, um, is to try and foster that kind of community. I mean, you mentioned Bianca Hernandez earlier. We adore her. We think she's incredible. And what she's done for Austin fandom is incredible. Um, and I really loved having her as an example of what it means to like create and engage in diverse period piece fandom. And being able to do that on like a really small scale is super cool and rewarding. And I, I know I personally hope that people feel as though this is a space that is safe and welcoming for them. That's so awesome. And, and you have a Facebook page. Is that, are you inviting people to join to like have conversations there or do you just want folks to email you or how do you like to have those conversations with your community? I always think that Lauren is the best at that. She runs our Twitter uh, and she knows social media. Um, but yeah, we, we have Twitter, we have Instagram, we have Facebook. People are more than welcome to engage with us in all of those places. We share slightly different content depending on the platform. So you might get a little different perspective on what's going on depending on where you connect with us. But really any media, we just, we love talking to other people about these things that we're also passionate about, whether that's Austin or just something adjacent. Well, I just want to thank you guys for coming into this space, for sharing your voices, for doing all the hard work, because it is hard work to podcast. And I just feel, I'm just so glad. I, I know I mentioned that I don't listen to podcasts, but I feel like your voices are pushing me to think about more things, to do better. And but I was also painting my bathroom, listening to your first two episodes and I swear that bathroom is 100% pristine because I was in the zone. I didn't drip a drop. <laughs> I was like, yes. Although you would only come out with two episodes at a time. And I was like, I'm set for like three and a half hours. And then like the <laughs> episodes are like, they're much shorter than first impressions because we can't ever edit ourselves <laughs> at all. So, and you're doing every two weeks, right? That's your schedule, which I really appreciate because we're a once a month if that kind of a operation here. So yeah, so thank you again. And I'm so excited to hear more from you guys. And I know everybody else in the community is too. Thank you so much. I think this <laughs> has been super um, exciting to be welcome like this. So thank you. I'm trying to think if there's anything else you need to say. Maggie and I will probably not be back as a duo for a while, um, but I have a slate of guests lined up that I'm really excited uh, to talk to folks, Manners and Madness will be back. We'll, they'll be guesting on us. And um, we are also planning to talk to Sarah Rose Kearns about her um, adaptation of Persuasion because she is a playwright and she has done a play. And I, I really appreciate, again, you doing this. It's, it's just been really good to put faces to Twitter accounts. And um, Emily, your Twitter account is so hysterical. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> when you tweeted the Kermit... Uh, with the like light at the end of the talk. <laughs> so fucking funny. <laughs> I I like spent the next two days just mentally rewriting the Great Gatsby just to be, <laughs> just to be Muppets. And then and then last week, my husband walks into my office at like eleven thirty at night. He's like, "Okay, but consider Lord of the Rings as Muppets." <laughs> 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 this is just how I live my life. <laughs> 
And then I immediately got a text about that. Out of context, what if Lord of the Rings has Muppets? And I was looking at my phone at 11.30 like, what? I would watch it. Although Maggie would be sad if Sean Bean, Bean wasn't in it. He'd have to be Aragorn and everybody else could be Muppets. Oh, no, Sean, Sean Bean stays. Sean Bean stays. Okay, <laughs> I'm glad we're all agreed. Game of Thrones is Muppets, but Sean Bean is also in it. <laughs> and he's not allowed to die. That's the other improvement. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, I'm not going to do a wheat sheaf this time. I'm going to save up some of that stuff uh, for when Maggie is back so we can talk about it together. And other than that, we have delighted you long enough. Thank you, Emily and Lauren. Thank you so much for having us.